Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. You're listening to Crosspoint, and I'm Mark Taylor, your host. Thanks for tuning in today. With me is my guest, Stephen D. Williams, and he's done an in-depth study of the Revelation Mysteries. Stephen Williams, thanks for joining us today here on Crosspoint. You you put out this book entitled The Revelation Mysteries, and it's a complete study on end-time Bible prophecy. I believe we're in the book of Revelation now. Um, what's going on. You did a lot of research on this book. This is a pretty extensive book that you put out. Pretty good size book as well. Yes, thank you for having me, Mark. So in here, right in the first part of the book, uh, you say it is the author's hope, which is you, that every person that reads the book will examine the scriptures for themselves. This author believes that the only way that prophetic truth can be realized, as Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then you talk about having a closer look at the original Hebrew text reveals a more accurate translation, and it can be achieved. Uh, the translation lines up with the biblical text, does not uh, you know, appear to contradict the character of God. So you have really brought in the Hebrew text into this study? Yes, I have studied the Hebrew and the Greek to um, get to the original meanings of the words that uh, are in the Bible. So that's why I I go to the original Hebrew. If there's any kind of discrepancy, I revert back to the original text to give me um, a more better understanding. Okay, so now how long did it take you to dive off in this and, and do this study that you've done? Technically, I've been working on this book since 1992. So it's been about 30 years that I've been working on it, revising it. You know, it's a process of, you know, when you're receiving revelation from God, it's a process. So you don't get everything at once, and you just go along refining. So it's been about 30 years I've been working on the book. Well, in Chapter 1 of the book, in Voice of the Prophet, you say, Before an effective study of the book of Revelation or any other prophetic book, of the Bible can be achieved, several principles are given in Scripture that, if you know them, will make Bible prophecy much easier to understand. Can you kind of give us a little idea of, because people, you know, sometimes move away from Bible prophecy because they believe it's hard to understand. So you're saying here really that it's not that hard to understand if we do it right. So tell us about that. Okay. um, Basically, um, the book of Isaiah, they give us, he gives us a, a, a guideline he says, for well, precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, here a little, and there a little. That's Isaiah 20, 28, 28, 10. So the, pre, the, the concept is you have to go line by line, step by step. You get a little here, you, you, you reference something else to get a more clear understanding of what the Bible's trying to tell you. You're not going to get it all in one place. You have to cross-reference um, one thing that's in the Bible with another thing that you see in the Bible, and that way you let the Bible or you let Scripture interpret itself. Looking at the book here, I've noticed that you've overloaded uh, the book with a lot of Scripture, probably more Scripture I've seen than most books I've read on prophecy. Uh, why so much Scripture involved? Well, like I said, there's a lot of Scripture involved because I don't, I try to steer away from my own interpretation. I try to 
use as much scripture as possible to interpret a certain end time event. So that's why there's a lot of scripture. I don't try to get my own theory, theological thought on what is being said in a certain con- a certain context in scripture. I try to look the scriptures. I try to find other scriptures to interpret what is going on in that particular instance. The chapter three of the book, the prophecies of Daniel. Now, of course, there has Daniel is quite a quite a book to uh, learn a lot about prophecy. And you say here uh, on page thirteen, the book of Daniel is uh, comparable in the style of the book of Revelation. Both take the same approach to un- unveiling end time prophecy. But unlike John, who appears to have been spared to some extent, David appears to be have received a full measure of divine prophecy. So what is a full measure of divine prophecy? What are you trying to say here? Well, what, I, what I'm trying to say when I say he received a full measure of divine prophecy, if you compare it to the book of Revelation, um, John always, in, in many instances, he always had a break. He saw glorious visions of Christ. He saw things that made him hopeful. When, when compared to Daniel, Daniel always didn't get that same type of prophetic um, narrative. He always got the, the four um, kingdoms, the four beasts. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get a glorious vision of Christ, the resurrection of the saints. So when I'm saying he got a full measure, he got, um, say, the meat of prophecy, while, while maybe you could say John got the milk of the word. He got some instances, he got some milk of the prophecy what better helped him um, um, endure what he saw. Like Daniel, he fainted when he saw certain things because he had a, um, a full measure. I said full measure, uh, he, had, he got the meat of the word when it came to prophecy. Yeah, and there was quite a few years between the time of Daniel and the time of John as well. Uh, yes. You know, from that happening, it was a different time in, you know, the Old Testament uh, compared to the New. And so uh, another thing I noticed here in Chapter 2 of the book, you do a, well, let's see, a revelatory breakdown, you call it. Uh, going yes. through the, uh, is this through the book of Revelation that you're talking about here? You do this breakdown. What what type of a breakdown here that I'm looking at? It, it kind of lines up about every page with what you're talking, uh, where prophecy comes in. And with the revelatory breakdown, I break the book of Revelation down into individual visions. So um, you have maybe a, like the vision of the beast out of the sea. You have a, a vision of great signs in heaven. So I try to break the book of Revelation down into little visions, comparative how people broke down the Bible into chapters. I broke the book of Revelation down into visions so to make, make the reader better understand I better get a hold of what's going on in that particular book. In the prophecies of Daniel, is that, in other words, more of an easy study for some people? They, you know, always go to the book of Daniel a lot for prophecy items. But did you find that prophecy is really scattered throughout the Bible in a lot of the other books as well? Or does it seem to be Daniel and Revelation to be the two major ones? Well, I find that Daniel and, and Revelation to be the two major, the two major ones. But we already have Ezekiel, the prophecies in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, and we have prophecies in um, Isaiah. But as far as Daniel, see Daniel, when the prophecies of Daniel, they're all linked. Sometimes some people interpret the book of Daniel. Each chapter is a different prophecy, 
and relates to something different. But in the book of Daniel, every prophecy is related to each other. And along the way, if, if, if the reader follows, um, Daniel is each chapter passes, Daniel is getting more understanding until he finally has a complete understanding. So that's what Daniel was doing. He's trying to understand things from chapter from chapter one, chapter two, all the way through to chapter one. Daniel is continually seeking understanding, and that's and that's the theme of the book of Daniel. Yeah, so all the all the prophecies are related. Yeah, and I noticed that's how you broke down these chapters. I mean, we might be over here in chapter four, uh, but you're just continuing in the prophecy as you're talking more in that chapter about Daniel chapter eight. Uh, to verse or chapter 12 and you really just break that down each verse in what you're reading about Daniel I'm, that's kind of different than I've seen before uh, as you're taking a reader just uh, verse by verse what I'm doing I'm trying to lay the foundation for the book of Revelation so I have to go to the, to the book of Daniel which is closely related to Revelation and I'm laying, what I'm doing is laying a foundation for what I'm going to talk about later on in the book yeah, and, and I noticed you brought up the Antichrist and other places like that. I mean, that's always a big part of talking about uh, end-time Bible prophecy. And uh, you kind of put some of that together to kind of, I mean, even back then, to try to help people understand of what they are going to be reading when it comes to Revelation. Yes, uh, I know the, uh, the Antichrist is one of the main concerns of, of believers. Yes. Uh, and the Scriptures speak speaks extensively about him. So that's one of the things I try to do. I try to give the reader a, 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 a complete perspective of Antichrist and try to clear up any misconceptions about um, what he will be, what his role will be on the earth when he does appear. Yeah. You know, another thing that makes a person kind of look at the... Uh situation with Daniel, which, again, you do a pretty good in-depth study on that, you know, uh, there's angels involved there. Angels yes. show up to help him. Uh, angels show up to give him counsel uh, and to reveal things to him. You don't find that in much of those others like Isaiah and that. Uh, we know there's a spiritual m movement there, but to actually have the angels to appear and to help, uh, you see that more in Daniel. seems like Daniel is maybe, would you say, the revelation of the old chapter of the Old Testament? Yes, I would. I, particularly, yes, but particularly we see that Gabriel came to Daniel, I think, twice. Yes. And, and and God said when he sent Gabriel, he said, make this man to understand. So throughout the thing, Daniel was trying to for seeking understanding, and God sent angels to Daniel to try to get him to understand. And in Daniel chapter 10, um, Christ came to Daniel and told Daniel, um, oh man, well beloved, I have came to give you understanding. So, yes, um, in, in Daniel, angels do appear to him to try to help him um, understand end time events. Now, you also, in chapter 5, the search of the four. Uh, notable ones is what you titled that, Daniel 11. Uh, you know, and we mentioned Gabriel, but you also talk about uh, the setting as Jesus appeared to Daniel in a form of a glorified son of man. Uh, Christ yes. came to give Daniel understanding. Explain that a little bit, if you could. And Daniel, let's start with Daniel 9. Daniel 9 talks about the, um, the 70-week period 
which Daniel was trying to understand. Gabriel came to him, it was dispatched to him to give him understanding. Gabriel said, no, therefore, understand. After Gabriel left, Daniel still, still didn't understand what was going on. So in Daniel chapter 10, the Son of Man appeared to him, but he appeared to him in his unglorified state. First he appeared to him in his glorified state, and Daniel, Daniel fell on his knees and had no strength. Then Christ transformed himself into the unglorified state, and Daniel was like, you speak to me because you are giving me strength. And, Daniel, and Christ said, I have come here to give you understanding. And then in chapter 11, he goes on to describe the four kingdoms that are called the four notable ones in the book of Daniel, which are um, which was four nations that would rise out of the, 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 the fallen Greek empire. Yeah, and also, you know, Christ appeared as some, you know, the word says, when the three Hebrew children were put into the fiery furnace and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and says, you know, we threw three in, there's four, and the other one looks like the Son of God. Yes, yes. So it's not unusual that you see Christ appears again in the book of Daniel because he did show himself up in chapter 2 in the fiery furnace. Now, with this book, uh, you know, you put out, like you said, you put a lot of time into it. Hardback book, a very good-looking book. Uh, Tell people if you could, Stephen, how do people find out more about the book? Do you have a website that they can come and maybe uh, ask you questions or anything if they had a question about the book or find out other stuff you've done as well? I have a website. The website is www.revelationmysteries.com, and I have some information on there about the book. I have some um, interpretations of certain events in, in, in the end-time prophecy, so they can go to that website. That's www therevelationmysteries.com. And that's the place that they can be able to find the book there if they'd like to get they, a They copy. can find the book there. It's on, you can get it on um, at, at Amazon. You can get it at um, Barnes & Noble also. Okay. All right. Well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back more talking with Stephen right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. I'm talking today, uh, well, we're talking about the Revelation Mysteries, and I'm doing so with Stephen D. Williams. Stephen's put a lot of time into this book. It's a pretty good-sized book. There's a lot of information here. And, uh, Stephen, we're out up here around Chapter 6 right now. And the title of that, Who is This Antichrist? Down here, you start off on page 77. Yet despite God's efforts, Antichrist will lead billions of people all over the world into everlasting destruction. And then it tells who uh, this Antichrist will be. And you have them listed out. Uh, from the book of Daniel, from the book of Revelation, you've got Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians here as well. 
and uh, some others as well that, uh, you know, John, Ezekiel, of who this is going to be. Tell us about, I think there's about 20, over 20, describing this Antichrist. You know, today a lot of people believe the Antichrist is actually alive and on the earth. It just hadn't become the Antichrist yet, that we're close, that close to seeing what you're writing about here uh, for of Revelation, of seeing it being fulfilled. Yes, um, the Antichrist, he's like um, one of the main characters in, in end-time prophecy. The Bible says he's going to be a, a, a wealthy man. He's going to be a Jewish man. Um, Zechariah 8.23 he shall, he shall be a, a military mastermind. He shall be a world leader. He shall proclaim himself God. He shall look like a savior, which is Revelation thirteen eleven. He shall oppose God. Okay? In that context, God has tried, has tried to warn humanity about this, about this coming leader. But despite God's effort, mankind will still follow him. They're still going to set up a world kingdom and follow him. Now, you you do have a lot of descriptions of here, so I think if somebody was saying, well, how will I know who he is? You give over 20 different descriptions of him from the Scripture that talks about the type of person that uh, the Antichrist is going to be. Uh, and from your studying of the book of Revelation, the whole many years that you've invested and, you know, the 30-some years here, you've seen a lot change in those years while you're putting this work together. And time now is we're seeing everything that the Revelation tells us, so we know we're in one of those chapters, maybe of the Laodicean church time, uh, but we're getting close to things wrapping up in a way for uh, the Christians. Do you believe that the Antichrist might be actually on the earth? He's just not to the age or uh, place where uh, it's time for God to use that method that he's going to from God's his word? Well, I, I, I believe we have a, a little more time before Antichrist appears. There, there has to be a number of things in place before he appears. The scriptures tells us he has to, um, the final world system has to be in place. Then, then that wicked man shall appear. So um, as far as scripture is concerned, I think there's a number of events that have to take place prior to the revelation of Antichrist. All right. There's, there's a number of events that have to take place. There's a number of things that have to be done prior to the, no. his, his um, being revealed. And I noticed, too, in here, you do some drawings, uh, you know, showing people about the early territories of of Israel and also of other nations like Edom and, uh, you know, Moab and those like that. The kingdom, even you show a picture here of the kingdom of Antichrist, what he'll be ruling over. What do you do here when you talk about uh, the false prophet? Uh, because the false prophet is definitely different than the Antichrist himself, correct? Okay, well, from what I'm seeing in Scripture, we can go to, let's see, uh, okay, hold on one second. Let me uh, think about the false prophet is is the second beast in the book of Revelation. He's the second beast, and the Scriptures go on to say, when we're looking at the false prophet, he's saying that he doeth great, Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14 says, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven, on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceived them that dwelt on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Now, when you go to Revelation 19:20, it makes clear the identity of the beast. John wrote, and, and the beast was taken, 
and with him the false prophet. Now, the false prophet did what? He wrought miracles, which is what is told in Revelation 13, 14. He wrought miracles and which deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worship the image. So, scripture tell us that there is no antichrist and false prophet, but the antichrist is the false prophet. You have to go by Revelation 13, verses 14 to 13 to 14, and Revelation 19, 20, which says the false prophet is the one that did the miracles. And in Revelation 13, it's the Antichrist, which is the second beast, which does the miracles. So there's a connecting point there. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, chapter 7, the book of Revelation, so you start breaking it down from there, uh, you know, chapter by chapter. Uh, in there on 89, page 89, there as you started off, you say, God's role in Revelation has stated at first that John wrote, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Therefore, God's role is stated clearly, he gave it to Christ. So give us a little bit more insight into he gave it to Christ. Okay, basically, when you hear that word gave, John's perspective, but if you go to Revelation 5, it's like, who is worthy to take the book? And then, then then John wept, and then Christ came forth, and he was worthy to take the book. It wasn't actually given to him. That, that was um, John's take on things, that, he, that it was given to him. But when God made his proclamation, when the angel made his proclamation in Revelation 5, he asked, who is worthy to take the book? So sometimes you have to, you have to look at the words very carefully to see the meaning, what's really actually going on in a particular set of scriptures. Yeah. The fact was found worthy to take the book. Now, I've noticed, too, that on some of the chapters, they're somewhat smaller than other chapters. So uh, have you found that there are some of these chapters that are just loaded with a lot more uh, area of prophecy uh, than others, and that's why you've kind of took that uh, way of, of setting that up and having those some chapters drawn out farther? Yeah, what I did was I tried to cover all bases on uh, as far as what is being presented in a particular chapter in the book of Revelation. So what I did is, if, it, if the chapter called for a more in-depth study, that's what I tried to do. Add more scriptures, add more references. I, if, it, if the chapter didn't call for that, I didn't try to um, embellish on something that didn't need embellishing on. If it was straightforward... I, I let the chapter speak for itself, or the scripture. Okay, that, that makes sense, letting the chapter speak for itself. Uh, chapter 14, the seventh seal, it's talking about Revelation 8 here. And you say, when Christ opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for almost an hour and a half. And then you noted here that the length of time spoken of here appears to warrant a literal interpretation, for there's no other scriptures which indicate and otherwise more complex interpretation applies. So tell us about this hour and a half and why you believe this uh, the way you do there about uh, this interpretation of what happened. Okay, well, from what I saw in the scriptures, there's no other scripture um, indicated that a a non-literal interpretation was implied. So since I didn't find a scripture... To the effect of it being non-literal, I let the scripture interpret itself. It said a half hour, so that's what I, I left it at. If, they, if it said a half hour equal a day, then I would have, I would have, you know, quoted that scripture. But there was no scripture saying 
anything to the contrary of what John had written down. Yeah. I wrote. Now, you know, something here, too, that was kind of interesting, it comes uh, from the part you call the angel of the, of the abyss, and yes. you're talking about the locusts here, and you talk about science confirming that insects are several times more radio resistance than humans. In other words, these locusts may resent man's failed attempt to produce species of these type of humans, which, you know, we're hearing a lot about AI and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about that there, because, you know, I had never thought of that. Okay, my my from my research, I have found that um, countries are they they're engaged in um, insect warfare. So they use they use insects for for war. They use insects, you know, to to experiment to see since they're radio resistant, it, it's inevitable there's going to be uh, a nuclear war, and and mankind is is striving. To try to survive that war, so they're using insects since they have a certain trait, a capability to survive radiation. They're trying to incorporate that in, in human, but human resistance. A nuclear war is inevitable. It's, it's just a matter of time. Whether it's a hundred years, two hundred years, five hundred years, it's inevitable, and they, and they're trying to find a way to survive. This, this this tragedy. Now, chapter 18 of the book, this is where, to me, you start to expand a little bit more, uh, the chapters yeah. and the information there. Do you find that in that area of chapter 18 of Revelation and those other chapters to follow, that there's a little bit more for us to see and you need to bring that out? Yes, because when I start with chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, it's one of the more controversial chapters in the book. So in, in Revelation 13, 1, John says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up off the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Now in Revelation 17, 9, they tell us the meaning of the head. It says, Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So now the seven heads, we are told, there's no speculation, the seven heads are seven mountains. Now, scriptures tell us what mountains represent. Mountains represent kingdoms. In Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, God, the kingdom of God is described as a mountain. It says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a child shall lead them. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. So mountains represent kingdoms. In Jeremiah 51, dash, 51 verse 24 and 25, the, the kingdom of, of Babylon is described as a destroying mountain. It says, And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of the Chaldeans all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight. Saith the Lord, behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroyed all the earth. I will stretch out my hand upon thee and mold thee out from the rock and will make thee a burnt mountain. So in the book of Revelation, mountains are representatives of kingdoms. So none of those heads 
have anything to do with Antichrist because the Bible tells us those heads represent mountains and those mountains represent kingdoms. I see. So I can see where you can start expanding more then when you get into these areas of these other chapters. Well, folks, um, we're going to be back with more in just a minute. But before we do, Stephen, tell people how they can find out more about this book that you put out, The Revelation of Mysteries, a, gra- a complete study of end-time Bible prophecy. Um, you can find out more about my book by going to the website, um, www.revelationmysteries.com. You can also, once you go onto the website, there is a link there where you can email me questions or anything you want to know. You can email me about the book, and that's a link within the website. All right, so people can talk to you a little bit about it. If they read something they don't quite understand it, they can ask you a question about it. Yes, of course. All right, well, that's a great great benefit to have there. Stay with us, folks. We're going to come back with more in just a moment. I've walked through so much the past five years of just really putting my life back together again, piece by piece. Real people, living real lives, sharing real hope. He'll always be there. He'll always love me. He'll always be the faithful one. 91.7, The Word. Thank you for listening today to Crosspoint. I'm your host, Mark Taylor. My guest today with me here on Crosspoint is Stephen Williams, and we're talking about the Revelation Mysteries. And uh, Stephen, right at the first part of here of the book uh, on chapter 9, the visions of the post-tribulation. We hear a lot of stuff about post-tribulation, pre-trib, and, and all everything. So tell us about this here on page 197, the visions of post-tribulation. Okay, page 197, visions of post-tribulation. Yeah, um, Fern. Revelation chapter 14. Correct. Where um, you see Christ, they show you a vision of Christ with the 144,000. And um, the scripture says they're going to follow him wherever he goes. They are not defiled. They have not been defiled with women. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about who exactly the 144,000 are going to be. But the scriptures say they're going to be the first fruit of God and the Lamb. So from that, it means that, and, and the Greeks said they're going to be the beginning of sacrifices, so they're going to be part, they're going to take part in the tribulation, and they might be the first um, martyrs during the tribulation period. Yeah. In the unveiling of these Revelation Mysteries part here of the book, I'm looking, it says, consequently, it could be said that God has chosen the name of Babylon to be synopsis with seven uh, materialistic powers, which is a cities, that would appear to be in the heart of uh, eight vast monetary systems. So this term Babylon refers to several different areas of power. Is that what you're you're saying here? Because, you know, that is a name that pops out a lot. And we also know that there's a place, in, you know, in the Middle East that where Babylon was, and people's had all kinds of different speculations there. Tell us how you look at Babylon in this area of Revelation. The Babylon, I look at it as, in Revelation 17, 18, they say the woman that was sitting on the mountains that we spoke about earlier, that's the great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, the word Babylon in the Greek and the Hebrew means confusion. So, um, Revelation eighteen, Revelation 17, 18 tells you there's going to be a final world kingdom, which will have a great city. It will be a great city of confusion. Revelation eighteen eleven says, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, 
for no man buy her merchandise anymore. And Revelation 18, 17 through 8, 18 says, For in one hour so Greek riches is come to naught. What city is like unto this great city? So these verses tell us that Babylon, there will be a, there will be a great city of confusion at the end times that will be at the center of world trade. And this is in line with the beast and his image, which represents a global economic system. Now, chapter 25, the power of Gog and Magog. You started here identifying, have you started identifying countries that could be involved in this revelation uh, finality that you're uh, you know, talking about in the mystery here? Uh, some of the players that are in there? Yes. Uh, and, and the property of Gog and Magog, um, I, I go through um, the epidemiology of the names so I could pinpoint what countries are actually going to be involved. It's going to be Russia. Um, it's going to be a lot of countries from the Middle East. It's going to be countries of Africa, Persia, Ethiopia, which they call Kush. Germany is going to be involved. All these countries are going to come down at the end. It's going to be after, after Antichrist proclaims himself God that he's going to trigger this global offense against them from the, from the north. Yeah. And they call it the, the, um, the, you know, God and Magog. Those forces will be forces from the north um, that's going to come against them once he proclaims himself God. Chapter 27 of the book, you said, let us reason together is what's entitled. And here in that area, you say here on page 267, after reading this chapter, one should be able to determine whether the saints will go through the great tribulation period or whether they will escape the horrors of the tribulation through a supernatural event known to millions as the rapture. There's a lot of prophetic leaders out there that talk about this issue. Uh, some say, you know, where that rapture time is going to be. How do you take a look at that? When I look at that, I look at the scriptures. Second Timothy 4, verses 3 to 4 tell us for... The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall keep themselves teachers having inching ears, and they shall not they shall turn away from their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So now we have three dominant rapture beliefs. There's the pre tribulation rapture, which the saints are taken away prior to tribulation. There's a mid tribulation rapture which says the saints shall be taken away in the middle of tribulation and the saints will be raptured after the tribulation. So according to Second Timothy two four, two of these are fables. They, they, they turn onto fables. So Revelation twenty verses four and five says, "And I saw thrones, and them that sat upon them, and judges were given them. Now, and I saw thrones of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And they, those souls, they say, what was that was the first resurrection. So there's a first resurrection." of those that was killed in tribulation. Now in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So my position is, if the first resurrection is after tribulation, then the dead in Christ can't be raised until after tribulation. And that's, that's my position. Revelation 20 talks about a first, revelation, a first resurrection. Yeah. Chapter 29, The New World Order. Now, you can tell us about this, making sense of the U.S. dollar. The New World Order, has that's getting a lot of attention right now. 
uh, more and more with the things that are happening in our world and all this stuff they're going to try or have been trying. Tell us uh, how to make sense of that. From my perspective, the New World Order um, is, is tied into Revelation 17, which it says there's, there are seven kings, um, five have fallen, one was, which was the Roman Empire, and one is to come. So that, that, so the Bible is telling us at, at some time in history, they're going to arrive a great materialistic power that, that's going to come into power after Rome fell. It's going to be a, it's going to be a system of riches. It's going to be a, 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 a economic system. So, in my perspective, the United States fits into that prophecy as a global economic power. It doesn't mean the United States is evil. Doesn't mean they're 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 bad. But they're lining up with prophecy. They're lining up with end time prophecy as a global economic power that that's going to be in place that was prophesied to be in place when Antichrist appeared. Now, I know you were talking about Daniel earlier, and there's quite a bit of study in this book, uh, you know, with the prophecies of Daniel. But is there more study uh, as far as the prophecies of Revelation and what's going on and happening? Um, yeah, of course, there's, there's always room for growth. I have found, I'm writing the book for 30 years. I've always found there's room for growth. There's, there's always time for new revelation from God. Like other sciences, you have to be willing to grow because in other fields, they're, they're willing to say, oh, we made a mistake. This is what's really true. The earth is not flat. But and when it comes to religion, we're not willing as, as willing to evolve. I'll get a revelation from God. We, we're not willing to. What we believe is what we believe. And God cannot get a word in edgewise because we're most of the time stuck in our traditions. Like when Christ was here, they, his main problem was everybody was stuck in their traditions and didn't want to hear what he had to say. Now, also here, uh, you've included charts and outlays and timetables. Have you done this to make it easier for the person to understand what's happening and what's going to happen? Because uh, somebody picks this book up, it's a big book. It can be a, a little bit, you know, as you step back and look at this book, you can think, man, there may be too much in there. Can the common person just pretty much walk through this? Is it mostly written written for the common person? I try my best to put it in layman's terms, but the photos, like they said, pictures worth a thousand words. So the pictures are there to complement what's in the text. So, like in many subjects, like if you're going to be a doctor, which is my philosophy, if you're going to be a doctor, you don't stop people from being doctors because somebody can't be a doctor. You still have to go along. So, in my country, I could make it as simple as possible, but I still have to give some people the meat. I can't just give milk because I'm afraid somebody's not going to understand the meat, which is when, what Chris experienced. He would have a good day one day, the next day he would say something with, with had some meat on it, and everybody would try to kill him because he said something that had meat on it. But so Christ took the approach, I can't just give the people milk. I have to give them meat. And sometimes we give them meat, it, it, it had died across. They tried to throw him off a cliff. They tried to stone him. So you have to give the meat also, even if somebody doesn't understand. Now, you also say that this book is a one-of-a-kind resource for anybody interested in Bible prophecy. Why? 
you believe anybody can just pick this up and it will help them understand Bible prophecy? Yes, because I, I touch on I touch on on every particular every major topic. So even if you don't read the whole book, you still can pick a chapter and you can understand that chapter without referring to the other chapters. I try to make a chapter all inclusive so that you can read a chapter by itself and still get the understanding you desire. Yeah. Now, you believe this all started all the way back to Moses and what he confirmed, and then it's just moved through time, and you've been able to put this book together. Of course, you picked up a lot of steam there with the book of Daniel, but also other other prophets. Tell us why more of this is not talked about in the church, or do people just not understand Revelation or the book of Revelation or prophecy in general that some pastors are afraid to teach it? Yeah, well, yeah, I think, yeah, some pastors are afraid to teach it, and it's more about not saying something you're going to regret, and somebody comes along, and, you know, I think pastors are more afraid of being wrong. There's nothing bad about being wrong. We all make mistakes, but I think it's a way to limit controversy when they're in the pulpit if they say something that's not necessarily biblically accurate. So... It's, it's, it's a very controversial subject, so you have to tread lightly when you speak about the book of Revelation. And in this book that you put out here, it's a good-sized book, so it would be, to me, very easy to teach from, uh, the Revelation Mysteries. Is this something good for a Sunday school class maybe to pick up and to start working with? I really think it's more for like a, um, a Bible prophecy conference okay. where, the people are, where the people are more involved, uh, committed to the, to the, to the subject. And and this way, if you if you're saying something that is not accurate, you can easily be called out on it. So it would be more for a biblical conference where you have a number of leaders who are you know knowledgeable of the topic, where you can actually make headway or uh, eliminate some false teachings by by speaking with each other. All right, so, Stephen, before we leave here, again, tell the people, if they want to know more about this book, uh, the Revelation Mysteries, and also how to maybe ask questions about the book or about Revelations with all the studying you've done, how do they need to go about doing that? Okay, they can go to my website, therevelationmysteries.com, www.therevelationmysteries.com. You have there, you have a link there. What, what that you can email me questions. I'll respond to the questions. Uh, you know, I have no problem answering questions, and I would really appreciate if, if people reached out to me. That would be that would be very good. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today here on Crosspoint. Yes, well, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, quite an interesting interview today here we had with Stephen Williams and uh, the book of Revelation. Well, it's a mysterious book, but he helps you to understand it a little bit better. And as you heard him say, he dug into the Word of God, the other book I have in my hand right here. And this will tell you everything you need to know about what's going on in the world and why. And it's very important that you read a book like this, but also always read your Bible daily. It's inspired Word of God. You can't go wrong no matter who you are. It's the essence of life for all those that will read the Bible. It's never outdated, and it's accurate on everything that it talks about. It contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. 
Be sure and join us again next time as we discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, the Osho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org. Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. Do you have five minutes for God? I'm Pastor Ed Wilson, and I believe there's no better way to begin each morning than spending a little time with Him. That's why every weekday morning I bring you a short devotional broadcast designed just for that. Look up God's Five Minutes wherever you get your podcast to kickstart your spiritual walk for each day. We'll always do it in five minutes or less. Have you talked to God today?